Hello, and welcome to On Record In Conversation. I'm Jess Collins from the Birmingham Music Archive. In this podcast series, recorded in front of a live studio audience, we explore the vibrant and diverse music history, heritage and culture of Birmingham through the stories of some of those who have shaped and continue to influence the city's musical landscape. In this episode, Satnam Rana talks to singer, model and dancer Bambi Baines about her love for Bangra dancing and mastering multiple musical instruments while still at school in Birmingham. We'll discover more about this rising star who aspires to break down cultural boundaries using music. And Bambi, hi. Hello. Good to see you. Good to see you. And you really, really looking forward to finding out more about the lady behind the music today as well. But I've really got to start off with a bit of a personal confession because I'm one of four girls. I'm the eldest. And for me, um, when I think about you, I think about a phrase which we use amongst ourselves quite a lot, and that is woman up. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is fantastic watching you grow, flourish, and really fly the flag for women on the music scene in Brit-Asian music and now mainstream music, and um, so, so important to have such positive role models like yourself on the music scene as well, so really looking forward to um, delving into that a little bit more. But I want to start, first of all, with um, the beginning. You're a Brummy girl, aren't you? Yes, I am. (laughs) So where were you born? Uh, So I was born in City Hospital, Dudley Road, uh, yeah, so, yeah, from Birmingham, um, had this life of wanting to be a singer from uh, as young as I can remember. Wasn't allowed to be a singer, being in an Asian household, being a female <laughs> is very hard. But I'm, I'm a rebel, so I just, I do what I want to do. Um, and that's the kind of message I want to give to young talent who are aspiring to be in the same field or anything in entertainment. And, you know, I get so many messages from young Asian women especially, that say, you know, you kind of give me hope because you've done something that's very hard to do and they can relate to me because they go through the same things. Um, and so that, that is, I feel like it's my responsibility more than it is just music. I'm going to come to that. Mm-hmm. So you said City Hospital. Does that mean you were born in sort of that part of Birmingham? Uh, no, I'm actually like 10 minutes from here. But everything's quite close in Birmingham anyway. Uh, yeah, I've been in a town called Hansworth Wood mm-hmm. my whole life um, and moved to London six years ago. So but, Hansworth Wood in itself yeah. is, I mean, like, musically, you've got absolutely every genre going on in there, haven't you? Um, yeah. Um, because of the, the beautifulness of Hansworth itself and Hansworth Wood and the, and, and the mixture of um, ethnicities. For you as a child growing up in that area, um, how important was the mix of music and how did that sort of get you into your music? It was very mixed, uh, obviously very multicultural, Birmingham in itself. My music, so if you was to listen to my playlist, it doesn't even make sense because <laughs> the songs are so different in terms of genre. And I grew up with my uncles and a lot of people who were much older than me and spent so much time with them. They all had their specific favorite types of music. And so when I spent time with people that listened to, I don't know, drum and bass, garage, pop, R&B, reggae, rock, <laughs> there's so much. Um, I have a different level of appreciation to anything that just sounds good to me. I love all types of music. And people can hear it in my songs because a lot of my songs are not the same. They're, they're very different to each other. See, I've heard you say that about your music before, that it doesn't make sense when you go through it. But to me, it makes sense purely from 
the fact that you are from Birmingham and then from Hansworth Wood, knowing just what you get out of Hansworth Wood in terms of music, yeah. from reggae, dancehall, bhangra, UK bhangra. Um, it's all there, isn't it? Yeah. So there must have been so yeah. many influences coming your way 100%. as a child. What about bhangra and like your classic Desi music? So bhangra, you know, being Asian, you're, you're always around it, whether it's weddings or... Um, radio, it's just, it's just there. And I started Bhangra dancing um, since I was six years old. So it was just a group, like my friend, my best friend was doing it in primary school. Um, and I said, oh, I want to join this. I, I didn't want to be a dancer, but I just started training with her and I enjoyed it. It's, it's like a little community that you have. Uh, my first performance actually is not far from here. It was in the Jury's Inn Hotel. Oh yeah, it's just there across just, the road. Just here, this is my, that was my first ever show. Um, when I was a kid, and I just remember just being this small, wearing my outfit and just dancing with this group. And I just began doing that for many, many years until I was in high school. So how old were you when you were doing that? Uh, I'd say between 6 to 15, 6 to 15. So you weren't a shy child then, were you? I was a shy child. Were you? It's Dancing? So, it's so funny because um, as a child, I never spoke to anyone because I just didn't know how to just create a comedy. You know, like you have kids who talk a lot and they make so much noise. I was the complete opposite. It was like, people would say, is she mute? Because I just didn't talk. I was just so, I'd love to listen to music. Um, I feel more confident on stage. Well, not now, but I used to. Being on stage was my comfort zone. It's so weird. So <laughs> when you were dancing as that young girl, it was just that came sort of out. your escape yeah. almost? Or did you find yourself in the dance? I think anything to do with entertainment uh, I was definitely escaping from something and I felt that's why I got there what was that escape just I was around things that didn't really make me happy it's just like you know family stuff and everything yeah. and music art is where I wanted to be did your family encourage you to um pursue that because I no. I, I can imagine no, it's not, it's not the thing, is it, in our, no. in our culture? I think, I think now it's becoming more accepting, but because there was no one musically talented in my family, there was, well, there's no one that was musical or did acting or anything in entertainment, and we are, as a culture, um, programmed to believe that you have to be a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or have a stable job, doing anything outside of it is like you're ruining the family name. And especially as a, as a female, because back in India, it was seen as a bad thing to, to be a singer and this or in a really bad way. I don't understand why, but... Well, I don't get it either. But, yeah. but I, I get it, and I don't get it, because I'm a lot older than you. And I think for generations upon generations, we've been going through the same cycle of behaviour, because I used to be in a bhangra band as well. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm much older than you, you know. I'm well into my 40s, but it was put a stop to um, as soon as we sort of hit upper puberty because it wasn't the done thing to be dancing out in public in front of people. Yeah, but not. times have moved on, haven't they? Yeah. So you broke out of that. Um, you're, you're a shy child, but you're finding your way on stage and finding yourself on stage. Tell me a bit more about the music that was um, coming through, the vibes that were coming through. I, I know that you joined a choir at one point as a child. Yes, yeah, so I kind of found my love for singing. I, I love listening to it. But I never in my head thought I, I wanted to be a singer until a bit later where, you know, I went into school assemblies and we would be singing. Uh, like they had really cool songs. And I used to just love it. Um, and then 
It was my first le music lesson in year seven. I went to Great Bar School, and it's very, it's great for performing arts, that school, and I didn't realize this. I wasn't actually supposed to go to that school, but that's the only place we got into. And the teacher encouraged everyone to sing the Bob Marley uh, Three Little Birds song, and I was like, I, I can't sing. Um, I happened to be last, and I sang, and she, after the lesson, she pulled me to the corner, and she said, you should consider um, joining my choir lessons, because I think you have a great voice. And I said, yeah, I'm not sure that's going to happen because my mum's definitely not going to let me and I don't think I'm confident enough to do that. But then I ended up trying it and the more I went once a week, I just loved it. And I kind of found my confidence in singing through that. So I do owe it all to her, to be honest. She really pushed me. Can you remember that feeling in the pit of your stomach when you first started that day? Yeah, 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 I Can do. Can you describe it? Well, I was nervous because <laughs> I was just used to dancing, not singing so singing came after dancing but then I started to do talent shows and uh, musical theatre plays and everything and ended up getting lots of lead roles and won a few talent shows and my brother was like you're sick you're sick you should really do this. my brother was the only one who actually really supported me my family so he was the one that took me to my first x-factor experience <laughs> when I was 16 here in the city yeah yeah this was in NEC oh go on tell us more about that I said that it was like, you know, I'm young, I'm just going to try it. Um, and I got through to three stages. I think we had Kelly Rowland, Gary Barlow, Louis Walsh, and David Williams at the time. Um, sorry, not David, David Williams, Talisa from Endubs. And I sang Alicia Keys' If I Ain't Got You live with so many people just watching me. It was daunting. Um, I had braces, didn't know how to dress. It was, yeah, and I was quite chubby. Um, but it was, it was a funny one because... At the end, everyone stood up and they were clapping. But then the judges said, it was really great, Bambi, but we think you're too young for the industry. And they were right. So they all said no, but there was a commotion that was caused as soon as I walked off when the other acts came on stage. And all you could hear was, bring Bambi back, yes. bring Bambi back. <laughs> and at the end of the, the entire show, Gary Barlow went to find me. Uh, but the producer said Bambi's left now, and so he went back to the audience and said, oh, she's gone. So it, it was really, there was like a trending hashtag thing on Twitter at the time as well, which is still there. <laughs> That's amazing. I've not heard that story before. Yeah, it was. At, so that was at 16, so already in some ways you're being exposed to the ultimate thing that everyone's aspiring to be, that, that you know, on a mainstream stage performing yeah. to thousands of people. Yeah, I, d I don't even know why I took the plunge. It was just one of those... I was watching X Factor and just, just imagining myself on that stage, and I thought, I'm just going to apply. <laughs> uh, but it was a good experience. And actually, there was this one woman who messaged me on Instagram not long ago. She said, oh, my gosh, you're that Bambi that I saw on stage many years ago. Did you know I named my daughter after you? Her name's Bambi. And she sh sent me a picture of her and I was like, oh my God, there's actually a, a child named after me. It's ultimate <laughs> empowerment, isn't it? Ultimate Crazy, empowerment. Yeah. So you mentioned that your brother was the most supportive out of your family. Um, how was it with, the, <laughs> with, with, with mum, dad, etc.? No, they... they um, my dad... So my dad's not really in the picture, but he was supporting because he went through a similar situation, but with football. Um, so when he was a kid, my, my granddad, his dad, he, you know, set up businesses and everything. And my dad w got a contract for Aston Villa Football Club. So he would have been the first Indian player. <gasps> Imagine. 
Um, When's this? It took, oh, I can't remember which year. But I think it was before I was born. Um, he took the contract to my granddad, and my granddad said he ripped the contract and said, you're not doing this. You're going to run our businesses. And till this day, my dad lives in resentment. And so he understands what I'm doing, and he said, you have to carry on with music. So, yeah, I could have been a daughter of a footballer, eh? <laughs> yeah, but now he's the father no. of a musician, hey? <laughs> yes, it's the story. Yeah. Switch it around. You know, in a lot of Punjabi households, I know that in our household, there's always some form of music going on. If it's not on the radio, Dad's usually singing or humming. We grew up going to the Gurdwara and singing Shabbat's there and what have you, which is hymns, basically, if you just yeah. don't know the cultural background there. So it's a Sikh temple. Many of us have been born learning how to read, write Punjabi. Was that all happening for you as well? Yeah, I was uh, going to the Gurdwara every Sunday with my grandma. In school, I was every Tuesday going to Punjabi school. Uh, classes so I can read and write uh, uh, Punjabi but yeah I mean I didn't really enjoy it because it meant extra learning for me. (laughs) So that whole reading writing Punjabi has that um, you know we our hands have been twisted as youngsters we had to go yeah so I used to have to go on Saturday mornings and so for me getting through those Punjabi lessons and getting the GCSE done about two years earlier than I had to was like the ultimate goal because I wanted to watch going live on TV that's how old I am (laughs) Um, but that Punjabi learning it and reading and writing it has it helped you when it comes to your music um I don't think it has because I write my lyrics in English um in terms of singing in Punjabi, it was more, you know, living at home. My parents did speak Punjabi, my mom and my grandma. So I knew of Punjabi because, from talking. And I think moving to London, uh, because I don't really have any conversations with Punjabi people around there, I feel like I'm kind of losing the twang a bit, as you do, because you're not doing it enough. But I don't, I don't feel like the lessons helped me with the music. I think it's more ha- be having conversations and understanding Punjabi that way. Okay, yeah. that's interesting because quite often with artists, you find that, that they try and perfect the Punjabi before they almost get into the music itself. Yeah, yeah. But I know your music has evolved anyhow over the decades, hasn't it? From, from sort of the pure Indian yeah. scene and now to um, really bringing it back in, into sort of mainstream. Yeah. So what about the music itself then? Were you having... So you talked about um, your school and joining the choir and your teacher encouraging you. Were you encouraged to have sort of formal music lessons or formal dancing lessons or was it all yeah. a bit... Yeah, so I remember researching online. Um, I was starting to feel a bit serious about music because there's one thing having a raw talent, but you need to brush up on it. You can't just be perfect. You have to train and buy a professional. And so I was looking online for singing lessons and it wasn't cheap. Like it was like, I can't even remember, probably like 200 pounds for a few days or something crazy like that. And my mum being a single mum, she couldn't afford it. And so when I said to her, mum, I really want to do music lessons, she was like, yeah, (laughs) that's not going to happen. So I missed out on the opportunity to do it properly. But I I tried to look on YouTube and just try and learn from coaches. But it's not not the same thing. So self-taught then? Yeah. Completely self-taught. Yeah. And to this day, have you had? I Only recently I've been um, seeing a teacher in London because I feel like you can't ever stop learning. Uh, It's always good. Your voice is a muscle. It's like going to the gym. You have to keep training it. It doesn't matter how good you are. Well, that's just quite incredible that you've come so far solely on your pure raw talent 
not being coached. I mean, that must make you feel well proud. Yeah, it does. But I do wonder if I did actually train, like, what difference it could have made. I don't know. Never know. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, you're doing it now, so you never know. Yeah, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> you're already there. The thing, that's the thing, you're already there. But when you were growing up then, was that, was that it? That, was that your passion? Did anything else come into the equation? Any other? No, I think, I think I kind of felt like this was the route for me. Anything to do with just performing, whether it be uh, dancing and singing, well, you kind of do that anyway on stage. Um, it's a bit of both. So I, I knew what I wanted, um, but I did as a backup. My mum said, you have to be a teacher or something, have something stable, which I understand. So I did end up going to university and doing that, working, going to college, and uni, and uh, trying to get a degree, and then trying to do a PGC, but I just, I, did, I stopped then. So, did you go to uni in Birmingham? Yeah, BCU. BCU, what did you do? <laughs> I did um, art and design. And, and did you see that out then? Yeah, I graduated in 2016, here actually. <laughs> in this glorious oh, venue. No. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, the Symphony Hall is a brilliant setting actually, isn't it, for graduation ceremonies. Yeah. Um, and then after that, you, tried, you went on to do the PGCE, did you say? Uh, I was going to, but then at 20, so as soon as I graduated, I was like, do I really want to do this? And I, I, I literally, I was the rebel I am, I said, nah, I'm just going to move to London <laughs> with nothing. <laughs> and that's what I did. Again, I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to come back to that. Just before you hit uni is actually when you sort of almost um, were founded, weren't you, by uh, PBN, if I'm right? P PBN, yeah, yeah. Yeah, PBN. PBN, who's just from down the road in Wolverhampton. Yeah. Great music producer. Um, you know, worked with the likes of so many of the big names in um, the, the British-Asian uh, music scene. Yeah. Um, for you then, how were you discovered? So when I was dancing in my group... Um, I was doing music videos as like a, like a background dancing kind of thing. Um, for me, it was like a fun experience because so, I'll be studying in school, then on the weekends I'll be doing all this performing stuff. And it was his video, I think I was 15 at the time, where he heard me singing at, in the location and my, because my friend said, oh, sing this song, blah, blah, blah. And then he said, who was that singing? And I was like, it's not me. Um, and then my friend was like, it's Bambi, she's a really good singer, you should, you should sign her, blah, blah, And he's like, okay, we'll have a conversation. And so he pulled me, to, so he's pulling to the corner. Um, he said, are you signed with anyone or is this what you want to do? Uh, let's have a, a meeting. And so we had a meeting in Jewelry Quarter. And I said, look, I want to be a singer, but I do not sing in Punjabi. Like, I'm not trained and... I'm only used to singing R&B and soul music. He said, yeah, it's cool, don't worry. And then he said, let's work on a song. Next thing you know, he's got me singing <laughs> full Punjabi Bhangra song, and I'm like, I don't know how to do this. And it's very high-pitched as well. It's like, how do you even transition from R&B to Bhangra? Like, it's just a big, big but step. But you did it. You, you did do that. I, I did it, yeah. And even with that, I wasn't trained. I, like, I had the lyrics there and then in the studio. So this writer, he's also from Birmingham, he had the song ready, the production was ready, and he said, okay, you have to sing this. And I remember being in the studio like, how the hell did I get into this? I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so I spent time trying to sing like the people I would hear, like Miss Borja, um, who's great. And I managed to do it, and I was 16 when I recorded that song. It's bonkers to think you were 16, because actually that's a really young age to be on the scene and yeah. trying to find your own feet. How was that for you? Because I know as a brown woman how difficult it is 
full stop when it comes to breaking down barriers. You're trying to do that in a really male-dominated, quite frankly, testosterone-fueled Brit-Asian music scene. Yeah, it was pretty difficult. Um, because I wasn't in the industry, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't even know it was male-dominated. I was just so blasé about it. But I didn't realise how much the industry needed more women. I was, first of all, I was the youngest person in the whole industry and probably one in five women in the UK and the rest are like, there's probably 200 men. Um, so that's the ratio difference of male and female in the industry. So being in it, I have to be honest, it was difficult because nobody took me seriously. Um, whenever I did club gigs at the age of 16, there'll be a room, private room, where the artists would be, they'll be drinking, and a lot of them would try it on me. And it's like, what on earth is going on? Like, it's, it's quite sad, but I put people in their place, so it's fine. <laughs> what was it in you that um, made you do that? Because actually, it could easily be influenced to go the other way, oh, because yeah, you want to yeah. succeed, don't you? But because I'm... I think what really helped me is when my dad kind of left and I had old, two older siblings who are 10, 11 years older than me, they kind of did things that put me off anyway. So I've learned from their mistakes. And so I said, I'm not going to drink alcohol in case I get influenced. I'm not going to be in a relationship in case I do something wrong. I was always very careful about what I wanted to do because I was so serious about making a name for myself. And so when I was put in these situations, I would know how to handle it at such a young age. So it's like I was forced to be mature. So way beyond your years. Yeah, way beyond say, your yeah. years. Has that helped you as you've um, moved on and, and grown in age as well as music? 100%. I think, you know, you can be as talented as you can, but if you're not careful with the steps you take, um, being street smart, being book smart, being whatever it is, just being cautious about your reputation, then it could easily backfire on you. Um, so I've always been very careful about how I kind of portray myself. I'm, I'm clearly seeing that it's really important to you. Is it still um, as difficult as it was for you for, for, for other young women coming into the industry? Have you um, seen a change? I guess what I'm asking. I haven't really. I, I still feel like it, there aren't many women. But I think, well, they're probably doing it, but they're not excelling as much. I feel like guys are still taking over. And they get more love as well, which is quite upsetting because I've, I've seen many times that there'll be a guy that comes on the scene and he'll blow. But a woman is really trying, but she's not really getting the same attention. And I, I don't know what that is. Um, so it's really sad to see that it hasn't really pushed through as much as I've wished for. What, I, wouldn't, I wonder what, what's that all about? I, I'm still trying to figure it out. Is, I don't know. is the industry <laughs> still owned by too many men? Like, I mean, do you find that when you're in the studio, is it still um, male-dominated? Is that part of it? Um, I mean, the studio is cool because you do find more male producers that mm. actually produce. I think with girls, there's not many producers, but they're more artists. But with, even with gig lineups, I still don't see... Like, I would always be the only girl. And I, I, don't, I can't, can't even count how many times that's been the case. Um, there's probably been a few times where there's another girl, but the rest are guys. Like, it's just... Nothing's really changed. Um, that makes me sad. It makes me sad. 
because when, when, I was in, uh, when I was 16, I was like, I'd love to just have females I could actually interact with because I feel like I'm constantly around drunk guys that are trying to hit on me. And it's like, no one's taking me serious. What am I even doing here? Uh, but you just kind of have to push through those situations. And this is why I'm do I do what I do because, yeah, it's all great wanting to be successful, but um, it's also just trying to prove a point and trying to make women aware that if I can do it, coming from Birmingham, also not having the same support for my family and actually doing something about it, you can do it too. So important for young women to have these type of role models like yourself and not just like, you don't have to be going into the music industry. It's just that whole notion of following your inner belief and, and what you want to do in life and not letting anybody stand in your way, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. so, so important. So who, for you, influenced you the most then growing up in terms of, um, as a person, to become that empowered woman that you are now? And then obviously, musically as well, who influenced you? So let's start with the first one. Where have you got that sort of <coughs> strong... I'm going to say a Punjabi word, Sherni, <laughs> yeah. which is like lioness. I mean, obviously my mum, sounds cliche, but, you know, that woman is raised four kids by herself, come from a country in India by herself, not having any relatives here, having an arranged marriage, not, not a very pleasant marriage. Um, I've seen what she's been through since a very young age, things that I shouldn't have to see, um, but she still kept the ball rolling. She, she did whatever she could in her power to keep me alive, keep us alive and, you know, trying and trying to give us the best that she can. And I think that's more valuable than a lot of things that I've seen in my life. So she's kind of been the best representation for me and even my attitude in terms of just doing what I want and no one's getting in the way of it is, comes from her. And she's the sweetest woman. Like, she doesn't have bad attitude, that's what I'm saying. But she is very independent, is what, what I'd say. Um, and so, yeah, I've learned those values from her. And does she now appreciate you as um, a female icon? Uh, she definitely supports what I do now. Yeah. <laughs> I think the, the, I understand the worry with um, Asian parents, well, parents in general, where they say, you know, have a stable job because music's not a guarantee. I could have easily failed and made nothing from this career. Um, so it's, it's that risk versus, versus reward type thing. Um, but you just, I think, you know, it's all about hard work and just going for it. And now because she's seen that it's doing well for me, she's like, now, now she, when she sees our cousin, she's like, have you seen my daughter's video? <laughs> <laughs> um, but that would never have been the case before. But, but it just goes to show you have to kind of stick, stick through it and just, uh, just make them proud. Like once they see a bit of a success, then it just turns the whole page. How do you break that cycle though? Because what you're saying, like, uh, uh, it's like looking in a mirror, but just... 20 years on I know that I, I went through the same thing when I wanted to go into broadcasting and and um, become a journalist so evidently two two decades on things haven't really it doesn't feel as if they've moved on how are we going yeah. to smash this I know how how are we going to smash this I mean it's such a big question is it because there's not enough critical mass i.e there's like you know one or two of us trying to break it out in our own little parts yeah. of the industry I feel like there's not enough and Again, I think it's lack of support from just people in general. Um, I think the, the thing with music I've found recently is once there is a hype about an artist and they're not like that great, but there's just such a hype around it, people jump on the bandwagon. 
that's kind of an issue. So sometimes people support artists that they don't actually like, but they're supporting them because everyone else is supporting them. I'm seeing that a lot. So where do um, you fit into that then? How do you feel about it? Where do you feel, do you I don't, feel I don't think it's a good thing because I feel like people should appreciate things that they actually like. Like, I, I personally love a lot of artists who are underground and not really known about because I love their music. Whereas there are people that do... For example, I went to a concert recently and everyone just had their phones out because it created FOMOs because I was there, but they don't actually... Probably don't understand what the person's saying, the artist. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a sad world we live in because art's not really appreciated enough. So what matters to you more then? Um, the, the music, the artistry, or um, the lyricism behind your music? I think, yeah, the, the, ly lyrics, the lyricists are an important part because you're telling a story. People need, nowadays, they need to connect to your song. So th there's two types of song. There's one where, you know, you're telling a story. There's one where you're just going wild with it and it's just uh, like a TikTok type song where it doesn't make sense, but it's just gone viral. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is cool, but... Yeah, I mean, you know, music's subjective. So, um, talking about the hype of music um, and lyrics coming first, and I wanted to go back to, because it reminded me of one of your um, songs from a few years back, um, Dunia, mm -hmm. which translates to... The world. world. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of worldly ways that you um, sing about in there. So there's Dunia. After Dunia, um, you had um, another track last year that came out, which was um, Kial. Yeah. Um, Kial, very much, for me, it feels like that move from the Desi style into bringing your own style into the mainstream. Yeah, so, um, so I started with Retro Rari, which was my first bilingual song. I mean, that's what I've always wanted to do. Um, so that was kind of like the best song to do as a comeback because it's quite, it's based around, you know, empowering women and it's quite strong. Um, Dunia is sort of the same kind of vibe, but Kial, now Kial was great because I didn't expect it to kind of go off the way it did, which is great. Um, it got picked off by all the official um, playlists on Spotify. So it was on New Music Friday and it's very rare you ever hear an Indian song on that, on that playlist. And even radios were picking it up. Labels, at major labels like Sony, everyone, they were like, this is cool, we, we want to know more about Bambi. Because they liked this bilingual type music, it was like an R&B Indian fusion. And for me, it was natural. Like, I was in the studio, I was a bit tipsy, and I was, like, <laughs> doing it on, on the go. And everyone was like, whoa, this is cool. And R&B is me. Like I said, I started out in R&B, not Bhangra music. Uh, which not a lot of people know. And, and that song got streamed so many times. I got messages from loads of people in Canada, America. They just love that vibe. So it's, it's interesting to see how the world is more accepting of diverse music now, which is great. And for you, that's really important, isn't, isn't it? The bilingual and bringing yeah. your different music genres together yeah. for the mainstream audience. Yeah, I mean, so when people say, you know, what do you want your crowd to be? Like, who is your core audience? I, would, I just want to see a mix, like, like being in Birmingham, multicultural crowd together enjoying this type of music. That is, that is what I'm trying to do.
and not putting yourself in a box, I suppose. Um, yeah. Latest single, um, collab with Afro B. I mean, that is a beautiful girl, Tawny Guri. <laughs> it is a beautiful track. That, for me, that's the track that you stick in the car, cruise down the A38 or down the M40 <laughs> to Birmingham. Yeah. Collaborating with Afro B. How did that come about? Uh, that came about through these two producers called Sean and Verinda. Um, who met up with J-Rocks, the other producer, who knew Afrobeat. And so they had recorded parts of the song already, um, and they said they wanted an Asian female singer on it, so they contacted my management. Um, I had to listen to it, and already I was like, yeah, I'm sold, this is cool. It's a nice summery-type vibe. And I wrote this song in 20 minutes, recorded it on my phone, sent it to them, and they said, yeah, this is great. So we got into the studio, Afro B came in, that's the first time I met him, really lovely down-to-earth guy. Um, and that's it, we just wrapped up the song in a few hours, and we thought, this is cool, it's the first ever Afro-Asian mix. And I'm like, I'm loving what I'm doing right now, is I'm not putting myself in a box, like you said. I love making songs with artists who are from different parts of the world, but still keeping it in my lane. So it's not going too far out, but you know, music is music. It's sound. Like you can absolutely mix anything and make it sound great. It has no boundaries. That yeah. is music. It is. It unifies, doesn't it? Um, I've got to ask you this, Afro B. I mean, he sounds absolutely mint the way he says Sony Guri on the track. But did it start off like that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. He actually. Did. I think the guys must have told him to sing that. But. It, the, the first time he did it, he was pronouncing it wrong. So in the studio, I was like, he's like, so, uh, what was he saying? Soli guli, or something like that. And I was like, no, you can't do that. If you, you're going to do it properly. And so we just spent ages. I was like, you have to say, Soni guri, ri. <laughs> and he was there for ages. He's like, I can't get it. And I'm like, you can do it, you can do it. So if there was a venue you could perform live with him, um, the track, where would it be? I mean, a song like that would be nice at a... Uh, probably an intimate gig where there's a lot of bass, great speakers, and you know, it's the crowd just vibing with it. Because it's not a, a party song, it's a, ch a nice, chill um, type Afrobeat. So, yeah, I think like a nice intimate gig, maybe at Brixton or something like that. Because you're embarking upon, well, you are on your UK tour now, aren't you? Signed yeah. up by Sony just. This uh, year. Yeah, end of last year. End of last year, yeah. 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 So, yeah. could you give us a bit of a view on what the next few months look like then? Uh, it means a lot of work, like double the amount now, uh, which is cool. I'm just very grateful that they, you know, they, they see my vision and they love, you know, what, what I do. Um, they're really supporting the bilingual style music. I think that for them is a good point because, you know, they did say there are so many artists doing the same thing, sounding the same. You know, you listen to music from the Latin world. Like, you know, Cardi B did that. I like it, like... And you, it's just amazing how you, you mix Latin reggaeton with mainstream music. Fre French people are doing it, French rappers. You're hearing so much, and I feel like it is time for South Asians to kind of bring their flavour and just create something new, something exciting. Um, so that's kind of what I'm hoping to do is, you know... My goal since I was a kid was to do mainstream. It wasn't to be in the bongra scene my whole life. It has definitely given me a great experience and I would never push it away, but I'm going to use it and put it into mainstream. I'm trying to pave the way for us. Keep paving the way, keep doing what you're doing. As I said at the beginning, power up, woman up, 
um, we need our role models like you um, in the music industry. And I really hope there's a little girl listening to this podcast right now um, and thinking, yep, there's Bambi Baines. She's done it. She's doing it. And I'm going to do it as well. I hope so too. <laughs> Thank you. On Record, In Conversation is produced by Siobhan Stevenson for the Birmingham Music Archive and presented by Birmingham 2022 Festival with the generous support of Arts Council England and the National Lottery Heritage Fund.